Tim and Tom. How are you coping? Because let's just get right into the biggest story of Kansas Cityans' lives, and that is the tragedy that is a home playoff game for our football team, the Kansas City Chiefs. Watching the slow, inevitable, uh, just, it, oh, I mean, you get it. You get it. It hurt. Uh, here we go again. You called it from the very beginning. You said, yeah, man, they're doing great, but you know what's going to happen? They're going to lose them first round of the playoffs, and we'll be sitting here talking about. I mean, we could go. I'm probably saying it verbatim. I yeah. probably am. Yeah. Uh, because the Chiefs are and will always be until a change of culture or a structural change from the top down, a perpetual second placer. And what I mean by that is they will always be okay. The, mm-hmm. We had one season in the last 10 years, I believe, where we had three wins and we got like a top five pick. But outside of that, we typically, as far as draft goes, pick in the 20s. We typically finish second or we win the division. And we always either lose in the first round, especially at home, or definitely in the second round. The last time the Chiefs played in an AFC championship game was 1993. And the culture of the Chiefs is a perpetual second placer. Andy Reid is a perpetual second placer. Going back to his days, yeah, going back to his days before he was with Kansas City when he was in Philadelphia, it was the same MO. Like, for example, and I'm I'm just going to use this as as the example to to paint this picture. In the early 2000s, there was one of the best running backs in the entire NFL named Brian Westbrook, uh-huh. and he was a beast. He could catch the ball from out of the backfield. He could run it inside the tackles. You could toss it, and he could do your little jet sweeps and you know toss plays out to the outside. He could do it all. And almost every year outside of one year when they made it to the Super Bowl, Brian Westbrook never got the football in the playoffs. Uh-huh. And this year, uh-huh. and this year, you had Kareem Hunt, who is a rookie, so the, the story hasn't been told yet on what he will be as far as the future goes. He could be a bust, you know, a, a one-year wonder kind of thing. He could have a sophomore slump. But let's just use this year's facts as what they are. He was the leading rusher in the entire NFL and in a home playoff game, when you're up 21 to three in the entirety of that football game, Kareem hunt gets a total of 11 carries. Yeah. Like there, And I don't, you know, I saw Nick, Wright, I saw uh, some other people talking about the forward progress play, which we are right. They are right. That was not, forward progress that oh, should have for been sure, yeah, for sure the first one was wrong the second one i agree right. with but the first one was terrible right first so one was terrible. I, I completely understand but you cannot call this a forward progress game because we got the ball back after that forward progress and we scored a touchdown right. so and they didn't so right. that's yes momentum was kind of changed yada 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 but we still scored after that so sure. that kind of wipes away what yeah, happened if if nothing more uh, you know uh, 
if nothing more, it helps me denote what game you're talking about, but I don't blame the forward progress for any sort of like Chiefs lore. Uh, you know, the, the problem is that you guys find ways to be in position to be in a one or two score game uh, too long or slash too late into a game. We've seen it too long in football lately a two-point game is not enough if the other team gets the ball with with anything more than like two minutes left it's just it, it they can score too quickly they can get the ball back you don't if you don't have a defense that's ready to lock down you better outscore somebody by at least three to four uh, scores until there's five minutes left in the game or you or you don't have you can't rest on your laurels in the NFL anymore. And for the, the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, it was squarely on the coaching staff because you took off week 16, no starters, to my knowledge, at least the skill positions played that game. So you rested them and let them game plan for a playoff game. Then you had the game at home. So you're obviously sleeping in your own bed. You're in your own routine of getting to the stadium. On top of that, you have an 18-point lead going into the second half. Like, those three things are too monumental to just discredit and say, well, it was a forward progress. Let's, no, you let's, guys dropped that. Let's let's dive into something deeper here, right, then? Okay, Tom, I want to get Tom's hot take. Tom, we, we all talk about Alex Smith, and Alex Smith is likely gone. One quarterback in NFL playoff history has two one-point playoff losses. Guess who that is? Right. So we, we, we talk all of that. Right. We talk about Alex Smith as a perennial second placer. Right. And so we say that about Andy Reid. Right. I'm a huge K-State fan. That is the Bruce Weber problem to a conundrum. Everybody goes, well, K-State fans should uh, not, you know, not think they're too big time. This guy solidly gets you in the NCAA tournament or in contention and you're, you know, around mid league. It's hard to do that. Yeah. Great story if that's all your aspiration is. But if your aspiration is to not pee down your leg when you make it on the big stage, then I'm sorry. I don't care how great you are in the regular season. That's wonderful. But man, we are desiring to get over that hump. And if it's inevitable that it won't get you over that hump. Do you have to move on? That brings us to the elephant in the room of Andy Reid. This happens. Gotta go. This happens every time. Gotta go. You have to go. Like you said, it's great. Hey, thank you. We are so happy with being fed. Now we want dessert. We want the next course. And you're not giving it to us, so you have to go. I'll give you another stat. There's been four games in NFL history where a team going into the second half has had a 17-point or more lead and lost the game. One was in 1993 when the Houston Oilers uh, and Buffalo Bills played. Two was the Super Bowl game from last year with the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans, or New, Orleans uh, New England Patriots. And three and four are the Chiefs losing one to Indianapolis in Indianapolis and four the Kansas City Chiefs losing to the Tennessee Titans this year in the playoffs. Who are who is the underlying current in both of those games? Mm-hmm. Andy Reid and, and Alex Smith. And Alex and, Smith, I don't know if Alex Smith is saying, for example, we're going to run play 23, but then I get to the line of scrimmage and I say, audible, we're running play 12. Sure. Right, I get you. I don't know if he's doing that, right? So I don't exactly know who to blame, but the blame is – the play calling. And so that goes on one of those two people. So we need to figure out who well, that is yeah. and then get that person okay. out. So now we, we see Matt Nagy, the offensive coordinator gone to take over the head coaching job of the Chicago bears. 
So he says in a public press conference that he called all of those plays in the second half. Every one of them, right? And says, I'm going to use that as a learning tool, right? I think that's complete BS. And I bet you he had already told Andy Reid that this job was sold, right? It was the next day, right? All They didn't get everything done, ready to announce by just calling him up last, you know, the night after the game, right? So I'm sure he already told Andy, hey, I'm gone after next season. I'm going to take over Chicago. I bet you Andy Reid says, all right, fine, I'm calling the plays. You know what I mean? Like, this guy's gone. It's my game, right? Mm-hmm. I just and and as you said, I mean, it, Andy Reid is the leader. He has pushed out John Dorsey. He he helps his coaches move on, and he brings up other guys from below. He controls everything, right? He wants every decision to be his, and that's fine if that's what how you want to operate a thing. But now that means all of the results rest on you, and this is yeah. what we're left with, and this is what we keep getting. I mean, he has. Uh, a gr- amazing one of the best all time regular season records. Top ten playoffs. I think top five playoffs. 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 Not happening. Not happening. Not yep. happening. All right. So I, I yeah I think it just has to be one of the two guys or both. Hey, you know, shock the system real and trade away Alex Smith for a top ten pick in the draft and use that to get whatever your biggest need is. If you think Patrick Mahomes is the guy, so get a lineman. Or if you think the line is good, get a running back. If you think Kareem Hunt's good, get a backup tight end, apparently. Because as think soon as go, Travis Kelsey went down. I think you go defense because you're going to have a rookie quarterback, right? Yes, you'd like to give him some weapons. But I feel like he's got some. But I feel like a rookie quarterback's going to make mistakes and you really want a defense there to help keep the score low. You know? Right. So what I'm saying is, so use whatever that for whatever. Whatever it is, right. Whatever yeah, your, safety. right. Yeah, whatever your biggest concern is. And then get rid of – now, here's the problem, though. Now we're in January. There's already been some vacancies filled, right? John Gruden goes to uh, Oakland. Uh-huh. Uh, like you said, Matt Nagy went to Chicago. So you're almost behind the bullet as far as getting a prime headline type of coach to replace a guy who is a proven decent winner and Andy Reid. So I don't know if you just say – Alex Smith, you got to go, and we're going with rookie. And then yeah. if nothing happens like that, then say, right. all right, now, Andy, you go too. Yeah, I wouldn't like, do it now. Yeah, I wouldn't pull the trigger for this season coming up because you want to at least steady the course and know what you're going to do. Right. So, But I think, yeah, in two years, they, they both have to go. Because forever, from we are recording on January 11th, from January 11th, 2018, going forward until something changes, we're always going to be – one and done in the playoffs. And it doesn't matter. The the, the myth oh. of playing at Arrowhead is also yeah. gone. Stop. That. Oh, it's gone. It, 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 uh, anyone can win. I can also, I mean, there could even be a similar thing to what happened the uh, the past years, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> like, a you know, we're the fifth seed. We win in, somewhere uh, on the road, and then we get, uh, you know, then we pop out another one, right? But we're never making that AFC Championship game. Uh, you know, no, not with yeah, not with the structure that we have, and that goes from uh, Clark Hunt, right? Clark Hunt's our owner, uh, all the way down to the ball boy. I mean, you guys all just—you have to be winners. There's a gene, there's an it factor, there's a mindset, there's a there's a there's a tangible thing you can put your eyes to, and it, it, you pass an eye test, and you go, that person's a winner. And right now, we have a bunch of not bad. 
Yeah. And not bad is has been wearing thin. When you have the the lovable loser Kansas City Royals turn around their whole franchise and say, we just won a World Series, and we went to one before that, and if it wasn't for the greatest pitching performance in World Series history, we'd be back-to-back World Series champions. And now you guys are still just running the mill and saying, division champs? No one cares about division champs. No one cares about it. Nobody champs. cares. If I see somebody's got a shirt and it's like 2000 whatever division champs, I'm like, ah, neat. I forgot. You know what I mean? Like, I forgot that year. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, no one cares in the 90s when Marty Schottenheimer got all of those division champions or division championships. It, it, no one cares about that. That's a, that's a great bronze medal. Tim and Tom. Tom, you brought up earlier athletes and winning and a mindset and stuff like that. And oddly enough, we get into that unsuspectedly uh, in our interview later in this show with Danny O'Neill of The Roastery. This is an amazing interview. We talk not only coffee, but we talk about life. It was definitely inspirational. It, it got me motivated. It got me uh, – the gears were, were turning. I was inspired just by sitting down talking to someone who had a vision and had a passion and said, I'm going to put my vision and passion to use and look at him. I mean, the roastery is Kansas City. It's as Kansas City as the Nelson, the Plaza, the Tim Chiefs, and Tom. Tim and Tom, the Royals, Sporting KC, Children's Mercy. I mean, it's as Tim Kansas City as all of those things. Tim and Tom. And uh, to sit there and talk to him and, and yeah. really just pick his brain. And he didn't fluff us either. That was the great thing. Once we get into this interview, you'll hear it. It oh, wasn't yeah. just a, hey, thank you so much. Uh, my time... Developing I felt, this idea, no, I it felt was genuine. I felt like it, we were. Uh, forgive me, uh, my philosophy uh, professors would probably hate me if I say some of these names that didn't live in the same eras. But I felt like we were Plato and Socrates and Aristotle all sitting around just talking about life, philosophy, and coffee. Man, yeah, it was, it was great, and it was great coffee too. Tim and Tom, the college football circus playoff. Uh, annual thing happened and Alabama once again winning uh, this time their fifth national championship in nine years which is uh, just an astounding thing you watched it uh, what'd you think well first off that's fake news the national champion is University of Central Florida uh, they right. held it hey they held the parade at Disney World they had a trophy their players celebrated to the best of my knowledge that's a winner. And they did it first. And in America, that's what counts. So I'm recognizing the University of Central Florida undefeated the as the national Knights. championships. Yeah, yeah, as the national champions of 2018 college football. No, I'm kidding. Right. So uh, the fake news national champions, Alabama yeah. Crimson Tide and the yeah. the, the, the electoral the, college champions. Yeah, yeah the running Sabins. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, did you see? Yeah. I sent you a photo of they had, somebody had superimposed Saban's head over Oprah, and they were doing the "You get a car, and you get a car," and it was showing photos of all the Alabama players next to their Ferraris and their chromed-out Cadillacs. And good for them, by all me- I mean, I applaud. Get what you deserve. I mean, you're making all this money for this. I, I'm fine with that. But it's just like, well, yeah, everybody's like, oh, it's so amazing. And he gets all this talent. And they were like, well, yeah, okay. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's college going back athletes. To the game. Yeah. Going back to the game, it was another, you know, uh, you're, you're a second placer. So the, the breakdown of the game is basically Georgia's 
football coach, was the assistant coach to Nick Saban at the University of Alabama. Georgia has not won a national champion national championship since the 1980s. That coach, Kirby Smart, got intimidated with a big lead, not knowing what to do, started peeing himself, said, I'm going to play ultra conservative because I'm too scared to take more chances because then that might backfire. And what he did instead was play not to lose instead of playing to win, and he lost. We're not talking about the Chiefs anymore. We're talking about the college football game. I mean, it's rinse and repeat. It's almost the same game, except for on a bigger stage because that was the national championship. So first off, I want to at least recognize and say that what a bold move in a high-pressure situation that Nick Saban benches his starting quarterback, who was 28-2, and and says, I want someone who can throw the ball farther and has a more accurate arm. I'm going to put in the... Hasn't played a game, meaningful game. A snap, really? Was it? Oh, yeah, he's been like in, but not played. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's played like the fourth quarter of garbage time kind of stuff. But he's never played meaningful time in his career. He's a true freshman, which means last year he was having to ask his teacher to go use the bathroom. And now he's playing in front of 70,000 people in the Georgia Dome. And this kid <laughs> kills it. And it's oh, incredible. Amazing. And just with the like calmness. Of, of a thousand distant beaches on a calm, you know, ocean somewhere. This kid is just like, yo, what up, man? Yeah, I mean, you know, coach asked me to come in and throw the ball around. I was just like, all right, man. And then that safety just dipped in. So I was like, all right, let's, let's win a national championship. I guess. Let me go talk to mom. Yeah. Hey, cool. Peace. It was, it was, it was incredible. Amazing. Yeah, it was incredible. The game, for those of you who didn't watch, went into overtime. And I think the most remarkable part, about the game is the last two plays. So the play before the winning touchdown was a sack that Georgia got for a 20 yard loss. And then in seconds, in seconds, he responded. Yeah. Yeah. In seconds, the next play was a dart down the field to a streaking wide receiver. The Georgia core or Georgia free safety misreads of the play doesn't get back Gives up his coverage. The wide receiver catches it. That's the ball game. Touchdown. If Alabama, you are the I, fake news electoral college I, national team. I kid you not. If you would have turned to grab your beer off of the nightstand from after the moment the kid hit the ground in the sack to when he's launching this ball, you might have missed it. Right? They immediately got back up and said, not a hell with this. Let's go. Right. And just, oh, I missed it. I missed it 100%. So I saw the sack. I got up. I went to Uh refill my water. I'm watching the game by myself because of how late it was. Uh, I go back into the, into the living room and everyone's celebrating. And I thought, I swear to you, I thought because ESPN did coverage of this game from like 15 different angles. I thought for, I thought something happened where they were replaying a past Alabama championship Victory, like, this is what they can rely on. You know, uh, here they did it in right. 2004 or whatever it was. Right, right. Uh, and so I thought I was just watching it. So I just kept sitting and watching. And then I noticed Georgia was walking off the field. And I was like, no way. And thank God for the advancement in technology for TVs. I was able to rewind. And I watched it. And I was like, huh. Yeah. What would you look at that? So I gave up watching that game really early on because I just, I just was really over. I was like, I really – I was like, if – I don't care about either of those teams, and if either one of them wins, right, I was like, it really won't 
affect me in any way whatsoever. It would be just pure, mild curiosity, right? And I was just interested in some other things that night, right? So I went off and did some stuff. Well, it was in the evening. My wife was getting ready to go lay down to bed. I was going to hang out for a little bit longer, watch some TV or something. I check on my phone and see a couple minutes left, Alabama with the ball down one score. And I was like, oh, huh. Well, let me turn this on, right? Let me see if anything cool happens. Well, you know what I mean? After texting you, like, oh, my God, are you watching this? You know? And then I, I go tell my wife, and we're watching the end of it. And, and seriously, that sack happens. We were like, oh, man. And their kicker uh, can't kick anything, right? So uh, this is amazing. Georgia just won themselves a national championship. And I no sooner finish saying that, and then we go, oh, my God. <laughs> this guy just catch this. Oh, it was over. It was always amazing. Um, it was fun. But, yeah, I mean, this whole system that they've got, and we won't dig into it in effort of being, you know, brief. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the the fact that UCF didn't get a chance to at least go uh, up there for that. The fact that Wisconsin didn't. Why is Wisconsin's loss? Because it was later mean more than, you know what I mean? Like, give these, expand this a little bit. Let's get some fun in here. Tim and Tom. The biggest story from the week was the Golden Globes and the apparent crowning of a new president in Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> Did you see this? I didn't see the speech, which has got everybody in a fluster. Spoiler, I think Oprah as president is stupid. But the speech was so good. First off, oh, just yeah, okay. as so I love communication, right? I love listening to powerful speakers with their command of cadence and their inflection on words and their nonverbals and their eye contact, which is nonverbals, but more so, you know, with eye contact, you can make more of a message uh, with what you're saying. The, the whole package, I just love speeches, right? Yeah. And I love, I love speeches from Churchill to JFK to Obama, even the horrible people like Hitler, Hitler could captivate an audience oh, yeah. good or yeah. bad. More bad, obviously. Yeah. Tom loves but he Hitler, could, right? I do not. But he could <laughs> captivate an audience. And, and, and the thing I wanted to make a point of is so often when we speak of great speakers, it's always men, right? Like sure. the people I just – like the people I just said, right? Churchill, Roosevelt, Obama. But I want to say is like Oprah can go at it with all of those and deliver – powerful messages and i think that's what got everyone in such a uproar is how great she did at this meaningful speech where she basically said like you know the tide is turning our time is coming where we can all be equal women and men that was a real big thing for me as she also mentioned men will also be a part of this as well will be part of this sweeping change that sees everyone as equals and no one has to say me too, which is this new movement, you know, that started in 2017. So from a speech and a message point of view, I, I thought it was fantastic. I honestly think it's one of the best speeches I've heard definitely in my lifetime, if not of all time, and you can, you know, rank that and categorize it however you want. But to me, I thought it was a fantastic speech. I loved it wholeheartedly. Now, are you, and excuse my language, are you fucking serious that a woman who pushes fake doctors and pseudoscience is capable of making decisions with the nuclear codes or missions that kill yeah. Osama bin Laden? 
Yeah, this like, is where more to it than just a public speaker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And there's also more to it than uh, just social issues. Does she understand the tax code? Does she know what the Twelfth Amendment is? Does she know how the Twenty Fifth Amendment works? Is she? You know, there's more to it than just saying I can give a good speech. Does she know that you need to listen to your aides uh, and other? things of that nature telling you no you shouldn't answer a phone call from this particular person uh those kind of things now yes would she have that sort of humility probably of course right but we're dangerously getting into this and it started before trump but but this whole uh we are voting and choosing our leaders based on ideology and we got, man, you cannot do that, man. Like you've got to, there needs to be somebody with experience. Now you can talk about ideologies and how you would like them to approach things, but you're voting on an ideology when you vote for somebody like an Oprah or a Trump, right? Because they say the right thing, the thing you want to say the way you want people to think. Yeah, that's great. And that's fine. If that's how you want somebody you know, who thinks who's making those decisions, but they still need to be well-experienced, well-educated. They need to understand the political back and forth and how to get things done and how to not anger somebody to where they'll never be taken serious. They need to know how, you know what I mean? That's where the experienced politician thing comes in is they know it's a cutthroat world there ruled by a lot of hounds and they have to know how to navigate that territory. Right. And for better or worse, the the system isn't going to change in four years time. And we're not saying like we just want someone who knows the status quo and gets through the status quo. Obviously, there's flaws in the system and that needs to be addressed. I think what basically I'm saying, I'll speak for myself, is you have to put these people in a situation where real world decisions need to be made. For example, you know, uh, regardless of your political standing, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, think of two situations where your favorite celebrity and how they would respond in the situation. And I'll give you those two. One, think of when Obama had to sign off and say, let's go ahead with the mission to invade and kill Osama bin Laden. Could The Rock do that? Right. No. Could Oprah do that? No. Uh, and you guys kind of uh, have understood where we stood or where we stand with with Trump. Can Trump do that? Absolutely not. But Obama can, right? And then the yeah. second situation, just so that I don't sound like the liberal, oh, you're just left leaning. Think about when 9-11 happened and George yeah. Bush was reading books to children in Florida and they went into crisis 100%. Let's get to Camp David. Let's get a mission. Let's get everything uh, in order. For better or worse, as far as how you feel, you know, his intelligence and things like that, because he's known as kind of a goof. Sure. He handled that day and the days uh, after that. A lot of professionalism. Remarkable. Right. A lot of professionalism. Again, do you think Bill Nye the science guy could do that? <laughs> right. Do you think, you know, do you think uh, – Jerry Seinfeld could do that. No. So stop with this ideology or not this ideology, this, this uh, myth that if you're a good speaker or if you tweet fun things that now you can tell the general public what to do. You know, and just, and and we'll get back to this uh, after I get this little piece out. That's one of the key things that bothers me about Trump, let alone this whole political 
liberal versus conservative ideology and even if he you know is actually one or the other um it's it's that right everybody goes well we we wanted somebody who speaks our mind who who's against the grain they don't say the standard things and blah 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 right but i still think it's pretty prudent to request of your international diplomatic representatives to have decorum and professionalism. I think at a bare minimum, you can give me that. You can still have somebody who goes in there and speaks their mind and who still doesn't take crap. I see it from CEOs and, and other business leaders all the time. They go against the grain. They anger people. They they get what they want by, you know what I mean, by hook or crook, but they still have a decorum and a professionalism about them. And I think that's not hard to expect that of a of a of a, a president and you get that through years of political service like that because you have to play that game and you you prove yourself a statesman I mean, exactly and have not and have knowledge of what you're doing right so right. understand that if you make a decision one can you make that decision based off the constitution are there things in there that says yeah. uh this prevents you from doing this or this allows you to do that you know having knowledge professionalism and decorum, like you said, you know, goes a long way. And, and and again, these celebrities, most of them, and again, we don't know everything, right? Like, so I, I, I uh, who, who's the science guy that everyone loves right now? Tyson. Yeah, Neil deGrasse Tyson, not Mike Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson. You know, he might know some things more so than, for example, the leading scientist that. Well. Uh, leads the EPA. You know and, what I'm saying? And pause, and I'll let you continue here, but if you want him to be uh, your the president's lead uh, aide uh, on science-related matters, fine. You right, know? exactly. Yeah. If, if you want The Rock to lead an initiative on nutrition and physical well-being, awesome. Right, right? Great. That's great. Right. But, but again, put those celebrity figures in situations that are real, for example, terror attacks or uh, missions to take out terrorists, and ask yourself, could that person do it? Uh, that, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. Energy crises, uh, things of this nature that are legitimate worries and concerns that people have and can will happen. Yeah, yeah. Hurricane Katrina, uh, you know, the, now, the floods that we just saw in, Flor- or in uh, Florida and Texas, yeah. Now, all that said, Tom, uh, I don't have faith in humanity to swing it back to the way we're pleading uh, with them currently to do that. So with that thought in mind, let's do it. I'm on. I want to see this debate. Let's get the Winfrey O'Donnell ballot. Let's bring Rosie in. Come on. Let's do this. I want to see these debates. Let's have some zingers. Let's get them on raw. Let's go. Let's have it. I mean, it's all done anyway, right? It's all a joke now. And it's just not even, you know, let's, let's get the rock in there. Let's have a third party. Let's see what happens. Let's have the presidential rumble. Forget it, Tom. Let's just go deep in. Let's go. No. Can't beat them. Join them. No. We'll interview no. all it, of them on Tim and Tom. Well, we could do that, but <laughs> no. Like, no. I hope you stub your toe for thinking that way. The That's Winfrey O'Donnell idiotic. ballot. No, Are you voting the Winfrey O'Donnell ballot? No. <laughs> no, about, absolutely what not. What about the Johnson? Who would, who would be Dwayne The Rock Johnson's vice presidential candidate? Well, on Saturday Night Live, he said it would be Tom Hanks. Oh, so, oh the Johnson-Hanks ballot? I'm voting the Johnson-Hanks ballot. Get out of here. I'm voting the Johnson over the, Winfrey, <laughs> over the Winfrey O'Donnell and Trump-Pence ballot? You bet your life? <laughs> I mean, I, I, will say, 
I will say this. I'm going to bet of the six people you named there, Tom Hanks probably does have the most historical <laughs> knowledge on how the government works. Good. But no, absolutely not. He made bad he made bad decisions. Tom Hanks is my favorite actor, but look at his body of work. He made a bad movie with Julia Roberts where he was like flirting with the teacher who was Julia Roberts. That movie was garbage. He's also made other garbage films. So maybe his judgment's not all the best, especially if you look at his body of career and what he's supposed to be an expert in. He's kind of missed sometimes. Yeah. Let's just say that. And The Rock, hey, remember, this is a guy who did not know how to use his fun WWE diet. And he ended up screwing himself to where he grew women's boobs and had to get surgery to remove that. So maybe he's not the best on like telling you how to take nutrition. You know, let's let's be honest here. Okay. And Oprah Winfrey, are you serious? She gave us Dr. Oz and Dr. Phil. Yeah. Disqualified immediately. Yeah. Those are Dr. Pepper is more of a doctor than Dr. Phil and Dr. Oz. What if we launch a imminently successful campaign? To be the first ever co-president and vice president, Tim and Tom. Oh, man, I don't know anything. I'd right, so... right, but neither do they, so. Well, no, no, you don't just go, well. We're in, the... <laughs> We're in this together, no. Tom. Let's get it done. Let's save America. Tim ah, and Tom no. save America. There's sometimes I forget. I can no. picture it now. We got the buses. We've got the megaphones. We've got the buttons. we got the hats. We got the, Get you up. know, we've got the illegal campaign contribution. Uh, excuse me. You know, you know what I'm saying? We've uh, uh, gra- grassroots, right? No, there's sometimes I forget to put underwear on. I'm not running for president. Tim and Tom. Tom. Yeah. You hate Kansas. It's not my favorite. I will mm-hmm. say that. Of all the Midwestern states, it's definitely one where I said, do we need that? Well, uh, trying to keep up that legacy in your mind is House Republican Representative for the State Legislature, Steve Alford. Kansas's 124th District, which, by the way, is the very bottom left, uh, like left southwest corner of the state. One of the towns when I was trying to Google and see what was where exactly this guy presided over. Uh, there's a Moscow, Kansas. You ever heard of that? This guy, Moscow, Kansas, Moscow, Kansas. Hold on. In the climate of Russia, U S kind of shadiness, this guy comes from Moscow, Kansas and says some left fields. There's Manser, Kansas. There's Johnson city, Kansas. There's Stano, Kansas, Ulysses, Hickok, Moscow, and various other thriving metropolises. Uh, This gentleman, uh, you've seen it all over uh, the news. This guy, uh, in a speech to, what what am I assuming, like potential donate? I don't know who they were. But he says uh, the marijuana laws, they're going to be very strict on making sure there isn't any sort of legislation to legalize marijuana in the state, even though... We are in a bit of a budget pitfall. <clears throat> Look to your neighbors to the east or uh, west there. But anyway, uh, he says, uh, because uh, all that's a gateway drug, which even the federal government has uh, acknowledged that that was a fake news uh, BS way of, of calling it. Um, but he's saying that. And then he goes on to say that when it was outlawed in the 30s, uh, that, <laughs> that it was because African-Americans were using it and couldn't handle the effects due to their genetic makeup and or due to their basically their genetics and their character makeup, which is, yes, it was a very racially themed campaign to make marijuana illegal, right? And those were the reasons they cited, but 
anybody who lives in this actual time frame in 2018 knows that's not true. You can still argue perfectly logical arguments against a legalization for marijuana that don't involve saying the darkies can't handle it and that it's a gateway drug. I mean, knock it off. This is the problem with people not voting. You have these old people who don't, you know what I mean, who don't know things. And you have this guy out here, as I'm talking about, presiding over the thriving metropolises of who knows these names of Kansas, right? Now, don't get me wrong. There's people that live out there, and I understand that, right? But you know next to nothing of how people actively use marijuana for whatever they use for their purposes in these major areas, right? You should have some humility and recognize it. Maybe what I think, you know, and then listen to somebody, but they immediately dismiss it and tout old stuff. Yeah. And that's uh, just, it's such well, a major problem. I mean, it's so- well, and it's here, here's, uh, we're kind of getting on this rant of, I don't like this and this, and this but yeah. sorry. Uh, however, here's my rant about that regard. Yes. What he said is completely stupid, but you know why? Because he's old. Right, yeah. Okay? The outlier is Bernie Sanders. The outlier is your favorite old person that you're thinking of because you're mad at me because of what I said, okay? Those are the outliers. What old people typically do is they stop evolving and all of their information and all of their capacity to process uh, how they see the world stops at around the time they get Social Security. And at that time, their worldview is set, right? And then they go into the, well, I know more than you because I've been on this earth longer than you have, as if the world doesn't evolve or thoughts don't change, but whatever. And so what you get is all these old people going, well, in 1970s, it said that marijuana made the darkies act weird. And you go, well, that's changed. Well, you weren't around then. I was. I know how it is. And that's how it was. And then they stick to that. And that's why, in my opinion, if you collect Social Security, Security, you shouldn't run for office. Tim and Tom. I got to one-up your political, oh, did you see in Kansas politics what happened Uh, with a, a, oh, did you see what happened in Missouri politics? Uh, Okay. Okay, did you see this? This is kind of late breaking and still developing. However, mm. the wonderful governor of the state of Missouri, <laughs> yeah. Eric Greitens, yeah. faces now a criminal inquiry and calls for resignations after blackmail allegations. So uh, I'm going to give you kind of the condensed, the just quick mm-hmm. highlights of what's going on. Because, again, this is a uh, developing story. All the details have not been fully oh. flushed out, so we don't know exactly 100%. Yeah, sure, However, we we do know this. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. A lady was being recorded by her ex-husband. The lady uh, admitted to having an affair with uh, the, at the time, running for governor candidate, Eric Greitens, mm-hmm. and said that she was blackmailed by having basically – a nude photo with her hands tied, uh, taking of her by Eric Greitens. And Greitens said, if you say anything about this affair, I will use this as blackmail. Yeah, and to be clear, uh, she's not saying he raped her. She went there. Nope. She was a hairdresser or something along these lines. And he says, you know, he's he's hitting on her. He's trying to get her into the basement. She knows what he wants. She's willing. She goes down yeah. there. But he ties her up, which, again, she was willing 
in whatever, yeah. not to get too graphic, but then she hears while she's blindfolded and, and tied a picture. And that's when he says, you mentioned my name. Right. This is going. Exactly. Right. It was, it was one of those things where it was consensual. And as soon as the deed was done, as they say, then it was, Oh, now I'm going to use this to, if you try to say anything about me, I'm going to say this about you kind of a preemptive strike just in case if anything got a little, uh, wary or hairy as they say so basically uh Greitens now has said ah, i did have the affair but i didn't blackmail <laughs> so he admitted to the affair which is already a black eye on an already tumultuous first year in office this guy has been caught using an app that makes disappearing messages uh he's been uh caught kind of trying to strong strong arm congressmen uh, behind closed doors. Uh, this yeah. guy has not had a, a, a five-day streak yeah. where he's had good news. In an already tainted uh, legislative body in the Missouri state. Uh, you know, right, that's what I'm hit. saying. Right. Yeah, right. He, he is leading the charge of the murk and muck right. of, of Missouri politics. And a lot of people are calling for him to quit his job, which I definitely think you should because, in my opinion – and this is me sitting on my high horse because I'm better than you. <laughs> but if uh, you're not honest in your relationship, I probably think you're not honest in other things. So maybe you shouldn't be making decisions on my behalf. And so if you're going to admit to the affair but then say, oh, but I didn't do the second part, I kind of think you're lying again. <laughs> and then we got kind of a trail of lies, which again, I don't want you making decisions for me. So – uh, we will see what happens, but I just wanted to one-up you because you had your little congressman in the 198th district of whatever Kansas, and I got the governor, okay? Missouri, baby. Oh, well, just wait till our next uh, impending governor takes office. <laughs> yeah. Tim and Tom. Amazon.com. You use it. It's amazing. It delivers you fine goods uh, at, at wonderful prices. Almost uh, – Almost instantly as soon as you purchase it. And you can do so by going to timandtomkc.com and clicking our affiliate link right up there. It says Amazon right on the front page. We'll get a little bit of scratch. Jeff Bezos is going to come over personally, have dinner, slide us a little bit over on the table. There's a pat on the back, a couple bottles of wine, uh, you know, limo ride home. Uh, it does it. It's, it's a weekly meeting. So uh, the checks get a little bit thicker uh, when, you, when you shop. So please do that. But that said, Tom, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the history of Everdom. Well, because it makes me think, because I, I read the article. You sent it, You sent the story over to me a, a few days ago, and I read it. And the one thing, maybe I missed it, but is this based off of uh, inflation? So, obviously, $100 is not what $100 used to be in yes. the 1900s. Um, so, so, is this the... This one, this one particularly said... It depends on who, you know, because they calculate inflation differently who, who on who you're asking. Uh, okay. Bill Gates may fluctuate in and out of there right. at some point. Not his current wealth, mm -hmm. but other wells in the past may have been worth more at that time than what Jeff right. Bezos' $100 billion amount is now. Right. Now, the thing here is, uh, by the way, I did the math, folks. Uh, if you use that link like I had expressed... Uh, on all of those purchases, Tom and I would be about three billion dollars richer right now. So if you that's with mind, a B. If you wouldn't mind, right? If you wouldn't mind. Anyway, so 
speaking of Bill Gates in this whole uh, richest man in the world thing, uh, not even adjusting for that inflation now, Bill Gates worth now is the second richest man in the world. However, would he not be such a charitable philanthropist? Uh, is that a, a bit of an oxymoron saying the same thing? If he wasn't such a philanthropist. Uh, I think it's a true and, fact. And so charitable, uh, he would be the richest man in the world. Because I got some stats, Tom. Let's hear it. <clears throat> Gates, his publicly disclosed donations, right? This is the ones we know about. Show he has gifted approximately 700 million shares of Microsoft, estimated at a total worth of $61.8 billion at today's value. That's billion with a B, Tom, right? So he's given away, given away $62 billion worth of shares. He has also gifted $2.9 billion with a B in cash, right? Again, publicly disclosed. If those were kept by Gates, his net worth would be solidly the highest at around $150 million. So it got me thinking, Tom. Billion. Uh, right, right. Million? $150 billion, excuse me. Right, $150 billion. Billion, okay. right, sorry. $150 billion. It got me thinking, Tom. Bill Gates is probably the most charitable man in history. Right? With these Definitely. numbers, right? And he has sacrificed so much to be, you know, to the tune of $65 billion, right? And mm-hmm. given it to those less fortunate. Uh, and all of that has made him the second richest man. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Of the world. Yeah. That is insane to me. That is, yeah, that is uh, astronomical. Here's my thing, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel actually brought this up. He wants a legislation, and he was, it was tongue in cheek. It's not actual like something he really wants passed, sure. but it's a, it's an interesting idea. He thinks that each year when you file your taxes, right, whoever the number one highest earning or grossing, however you want to say that, whoever's taking home the most money in America should have to donate 65% of those earnings to charitable donations. Uh-huh. And he thinks by doing that, then all of these billionaires and trillionaires and all that would then be donating to not be number one so they don't have to get rid of 65% of their uh, intake or I- income. Yeah. And what a great idea that would be, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Here's what I thought of. To- to help others. Here's what I've thought of. And this is an interesting theory that maybe, I mean, it's just a root basic. What if we formatted it this way? Right. I mean, I'm talking the first sentence of a rough draft, right? We have a minimum wage, right? You can't have a maximum wage, right? That's too restrictive, right? Cause you should be able to earn upwards of what, what you can make. Right. That's the theory, right? If I produce, Mm -hmm. If I produce and I, only, I I should be able to continually keep earning more if I find a way to do so, right? That's the idea. But what I say is, okay, so you got a company. Let's say we got Tim and Tom Industries, right? And we're the CEO, Tim and Tom, right? Tim and Tom of Tim and Tom Industries. And we got all these workers, right? And they make X amount of dollars, right? Let's say at the end of the year, we're filing our taxes and we figured out we make, we brought in profit from the business. You know, for us personally, this is our take on whatever, right? We're, we're making this much money now is this, right? This number. We should not be able, I feel, you set a percentage, right? An X multiplier, right? You shouldn't be able to make 100 times more 
than the average employer or whatever, right? The rest has to go back in then to be dispersed amongst the employees. Now you can break that up in some even ways, right? I mean, obviously this is a lot, this is a real simplistic way of describing thought, right? So you almost have a, you don't have a cap on the dollar amount of wages that the upper tier could be making, right? But you do have a ratio cap. Does that make sense? Amongst the, yeah. the everyday worker of that, of that business. It has to then go back to them as income, right? Does that make like sense it. to me? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But now, obviously, you have bad guys that find loopholes and ways to hide the money and skirt the ways out. So you have to be cautious of that. But it just sounded like a one time I thought about that, I was like, well, what if we just said, you know, because we start talking about like, man, CEOs here make 345 to one, where in other countries it's 43 to whatever. I'm like, well, what if we just make that statistic and measure off of that and cap that? You can't make more than 50 to one of your lowest paid employee, right? If it's more than that, it has to go back to them. In, in things. Now, you can obviously set aside set some amounts for R&D and, and marketing, whatever, obviously, right? But, you know, obviously a no, lot I, more a lot more complications and details got to go into something like that. I'm not saying I'm, you know what I mean? Let's it, do it. It's a I'm good not Trump. start. I'm not Trump. I'm saying let's get out there. But I always thought about that, which sounds like a semi-similar idea. It's incentivizing not this over-accumulation of wealth at the top, right? It's, it, yeah. It's, it's, you're basically capping greed, which is great. Because yeah, greed is bad. Right, which may yeah. be hard to do. Tim and Tom. Let's just wrap this up so we can get to this great interview that we did. <sighs> Danny O'Neill, the roastery. First of all, the the factory is amazing. It's, he even uh, likens it to Willy Wonka, right? You go in there. You can see everything going on. They've got tours. You can take guided tours. They, they love to talk to you down there. And there's multiple roastery locations around. And he talks about various other places you can find their coffee. And then, again, we talk about life. We talk about how a, a Iowa farm kid winds up in Costa Rica. Uh, we talk about well, hey, let's, uh, you know yeah. all kinds of fun stuff. So, well, let let's get to it then. Let's get to it then. We will do that after this quick break when we come back to Tim and Tom. Fun fact: On August sixteenth, two thousand thirteen, Google went down for five minutes. Global internet traffic dropped forty percent. Remember y'all told me I couldn't? Well, I did it anyway. Told me I'd amount to nothing. And got the shit anyway. Thinking back when we was younger, y'all treated me anyway. Tim and Tom. Tom, I love coffee. I've got a fresh cup here of the Roasteries. Uh, it's a, it's their latte. The Roastery is an amazing place, and there's a lot of story behind it. We're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And uh, as I'm joining you in my own coffee, I have a cafe au lait with almond milk, as I usually do. But Roastery has some fantastic coffee here. And we have Danny O'Neill, the founder. I don't know if you have an official title. I don't know. You just owner, founder, boss man, the bean baron, as it were. Yeah, Bean Burn is a, it's kind of a, we copied off, early on, copied off of Ben & Jerry's. So everybody has really non-serious titles. Right. And that's, it's for, for fun, but it's also kind of symbolic too. We don't take ourselves very seriously. We take our product extremely seriously. We're kind of neurotic about the quality part, but, but as far as ourselves and how many, you know, stupid mistakes that we make and all that kind of thing, right. we laugh at ourselves a lot, so... I think we're doing it the wrong way. I think we're taking ourselves too seriously in our product. We're just letting it just. So the first question I have for you is with coffee, you know, it's definitely a passion of a lot of people's kind of speak to us a little bit about what makes coffee your passion. Yeah. You know, and I, I feel, um, 
grateful and somewhat lucky and fortunate that I have a passion that strongly. Um, I talked with a lot of people. There's probably, you know, every week there's six, eight, ten people that say, oh, I'd just love to, you know, pick your brain a little bit. And inevitably it comes down to the, I think, the human condition. What What's my purpose? What should I be doing? And most of us don't know, right? I mean, just, and I never did. I, I would be a, you know, I'd be a liar if I said, oh, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. So I feel, honestly, I feel super lucky and fortunate, and it's never lost on me about that. Sometimes I wish I could turn it off, but I, you can't. I cannot. I, I honest to God, as God is my witness, I dream about coffee every single night. And I don't think I've not dreamed about coffee since, uh, oh, man, at least since 1990, something like that. So, but it... You know, I picked coffee as a foreign exchange student when I lived in Costa Rica as a high school uh, student. And um, and that looked, felt just like working on the farms in Iowa. You know, growing up, I detasseled corn, walked beans, chopped thistles, fixed fence, bailed hay. Never thought twice about it. You know, we saved up enough money to buy motorcycles, played football, chased girls. The whole kind of the, you know, nothing's just kind of the quintessential Midwestern kind of a small town lifestyle. But, um, but when I came back from Costa Rica a year later, I started at Iowa State. In the first finals I went through, I drank an entire pot of coffee with my old girlfriend. And I vividly remember that. And it was, you know, 40 years ago or 30-some years ago, whatever it was. Um, and um, I, remember fe- I remember the feeling. I couldn't study. I couldn't sit still, couldn't sleep, but I loved it. And I have just drank an insane amount of coffee every day ever since, every single day since. And that was 1979. So in the early 80s, we started drinking whole bean coffee and, you know, call it specialty coffee. Still, I mean, that was, uh, people would make fun of me. My sisters would make fun of me and say to them, you know, he's a coffee dork. There wasn't anything cool about it. Sure. Definitely not cool. It was, I was a dork. And then, you know, and then I went to work for an old, for a, uh, company and uh, based in Seattle and started you know buying really good coffee out there and then I really kind of got into it heavily and then it t- nobody said oh this is so cool you have a coffee passion it was still weird because you know 1988 89 so but then I couldn't get loose of it I thought I would kind of you know it maybe turn into something else who knows you know I never ever thought I would get into coffee as a living and then then I could. Then I moved here in '91 and started at the Rockhurst uh, ex- with the Executive Fellows and got more and more into coffee and kind of just you know just thinking about it. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do something with it. And my friends were like, "Yeah, pff, good luck with that. You know, make a living off of that." It was kind of like when undergrad, if you said I'm a history major, yeah, good luck with that. And it was searingly, mockingly cynical. Um, but that's that was kind of the impetus, you know, so I can't really take any credit for it. It was just I just feel but the great for the grace of God. I I have one and I love, you know, speed and motorcycles and other things like that, too. But, you know, first and foremost, it's it's coffee. So down in the back a little bit, then as a personal aside, what gets a farm kid in Iowa out to Costa Rica on a foreign exchange program? Oh, you know, it's uh, it'll be as. It sounds like a stupid answer, but okay. it, it's the truth, you know. I'm in the middle of 10 kids, right? So 
kids at all. I'm a senior in high school, and you know, we would joke that we just about have to douse ourselves with gasoline to get my mom's attention. You know, the ten kids. Can you imagine? I never thought twice about it back then, but today I'm like, oh my god. But anyway, so Joanne Tinning came from uh, Tasmania, from Australia, and she was our foreign exchange student that year, and uh, when I was a senior, and. Um, so we started dating and we would go places and she would get all this attention and I was kind of like, so I was like, kind of like, you know, Napoleon Dynamite, I want, I want that, I want that, I want that, you know, and everywhere we'd go, she'd get all this attention. I mean, and um, so I started signing up to be a foreign exchange student. I didn't tell anybody, didn't tell my parents you know, or anything like that. And then all of a sudden I had to start dragging my mom and I remember one of the sessions uh, the the lady said I had to take her to Sac City or Lake City, someplace in Iowa. You know, my mom's sitting there like this and kind of like crabby old cat lady type look on her face. And this lady says, so you must be excited. What do you think about Danny going? And then she goes, well, he didn't tell me anything about it. I don't know anything about this. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a suitcase. I didn't have a passport. Um, I mean, we just literally, 10 kids, we didn't go anywhere. And um, so, I, and then they were like, well, where else have you been? You know, where have you traveled? And I said, uh, well, Omaha. No, I've never been to Chicago. And then I said, uh, oh, in Colorado. And my mom goes, well, you were there with your brothers. Oh, yeah. Well, and then the lady's real nice, real gracious. Well, have you, have you ever been, have you ever traveled on your own anywhere? Uh, no. <laughs> didn't speak a word of Spanish. I'd never been on a jet. So anyway, again, it's taking too long to tell the story, but uh, this is in the fall. And then they said, well, if you get chosen, you'll know before Christmas. And if not, then you're probably you know, not going to get chosen. So Christmas came and went. Kind of had my, it was, I was a senior where I didn't play basketball, but our team was winning the state and then all kinds of fun things. You know, it was just senior itis big time. And got a, I got a letter with a picture and it said, this is your family and you know, you're leaving three weeks. And so my poor mom had to scramble and get a suitcase and get a passport and, um, but that's how it came about. And I, so I was like culture shock, like first place we, we land in, um, first time I'd ever been on jet. So February, my dad takes me to Des Moines, Iowa and I'm like, <laughs> and, um, but we land in Miami and I'm like, what the hell country are we in? <laughs> and who are these people? <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> I was so just pig farmer, small town Iowa, you know. But then it would land in Costa Rica, and they don't, you know, they just one sister spoke a little bit of English, and I didn't speak a single word of Spanish. I just kind of toughed it out, and that's how the the year started. Well, you were speaking about like in the late '80s when you had this passion for coffee, and it wasn't really cool. But yeah. fast forward to 2018, and now it's the cool thing to do. But Going more specifically to Kansas City, what makes Kansas City such a good town to have the roastery and then all these other type of coffee places popping up? You know, I think I just came from our, um, we, we, we had a big announcement this morning at uh, Children's Mercy and uh, the Hall Family Foundation donated $75 million and the Sunderland family matched it for $75 million. This other lady who had cancer, kid had can child had cancer, donated $3 million. And that, in a nutshell, is what, I mean, that's what makes me love this place. It makes me just feel more passionate about this, this city than anywhere else on the face of the planet. I love that. And that 
is what built Children's Mercy. It was what makes Kansas City or KU Med Center so prominent and so awesome. And, and Rockhurst and UMKC and then the Nelson Atkins and then, you know, Henry Block and Barnett Hellsberg and I could just go on. So I feel like you could um, you could start you could design salt and pepper shakers and and as you tie it to Kansas City and be part of the community and give back, I don't really think the product or service matters. And now that it needs to stand on its own, right? But um, but I just feel so grateful. There's you know we have roaster friends around the country that don't have anything near the kind of fans that we have. It's not that we're that special. It's that the people I think of Kansas City are that special. So we don't want to, you know, I don't think, this is me personally, I don't feel like we should get any kind of subsidy because we're local, but personally we have a kind of local wins all ties. You, you know, we were talking to the folks at the airport the other day about that. Unless you can't find a good local source, then, you know, and that's, this is just simple small town Iowa. This We didn't have to go to college and learn that. It, there's a duh factor there, you know. Um, honestly, I'll tell you a story that happened last Saturday at the Chiefs game. We were talking about local, and I was telling this kid, um, he was asking me something about us versus national competition, and I, and I was having this kind of conversation, and I said, my son, who's 12, and he was way in the back of this van we were riding in, could tell you the multiplier effect of uh, you know doing business with local versus a multinational. He goes, whoa, 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 just okay. So, hey, Terry, yeah? What's the multiplier effect of doing business, a dollar spent at a local versus a multinational? And again, Terry's 12, he's in sixth grade. He goes, oh, I, I, and then this kid starts getting kind of a smart look. And Terry goes, seven or eight? And I said, that's exactly right. No, because we've talked about it. He said, every time you do, because he said one time, nothing against Target, but he said one time, oh, dad, let's get so-and-so. I said, no, that's something that you'd get at Brookside Toys and Science. We love Target. But where you can, you want to do business locally. Sure. And I told him how many t different times that dollar was spent would, would get multiplied in the community. So um, anyway, that's all. I think people in Kansas City get that, you know, that we're, we're blessed to be that way. But hopefully we live it as well, you know. Uh, well, we also appreciate uh, the local aspect of things and hope people... Uh you know, choose that local wins all ties. If you're choosing any podcast favorites out there, <laughs> absolutely, I totally feel that though. I, I honestly, I, I, we live it. But what? Okay, so I, I was reading through your website earlier today, and you guys mentioned that you do things a little differently. You want the highest grade coffee that's out there. You roast it a little differently. Give us kind of a quick layman's on what sets you apart. There. Yeah, good question. I, I always think so. What? Like and even with you guys on your podcast, if I didn't know any better, I, I kind of, and I'm not, you know, icky about it, but in my mind, I kind of say, so what, what difference you guys, what are you going to do differently? And why would I take time to listen to your podcast? Right. So with us, so what your local roaster, who cares? So what we try to do to differentiate ourselves and always have is buy the best coffee we could find in the world. And people say that easily, it rolls off the tongue, but if you really dial back and look at what they do and how they do it, there's, there's a myriad of different ways of what we do. We actually go, we, you know, we've been going since 1979. We continue to just study and research and look and visit and we're just neurotically anal retentive when it comes to quality. I mean, like uh, you wouldn't want to be around us if you didn't have that kind of passion for quality. 
Now, I can be a total slob in other aspects of my life, but not when it comes to that. And then secondly, so we really do endeavor to buy the best coffee we can find from each country that we're in. And we don't buy all of it, God knows. But I don't think there's anybody in the world buying better coffee than us. So secondly, we roast it the best way known to mankind. And, um, And that would just kind of spill off my lips easily for 22 years. And if there were a better roaster out there, we'd buy it. Well, guess what? We found a better roaster. And what happened was it was like this much better, like like two points or 3% or 5%, but it was better. And we tested it against ours multiple times. So they actually produce slightly less volume. And we had to spend like $500,000 on these roasters, but we did. So we spent 500 grand. We actually lost capacity but we know we're having the best roasters in the world. And then finally, get it to the customer as fast as humanly possible. Right now, if you, let's say, you're, you're, let's say you, you're drinking that latte, and you say, God almighty, what is that in there? And we say, oh, it's super Tuscan espresso. Da, 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 da. We explain what it is. God, can I, can I get some of that right now? Could, you couldn't like roast it right now for me, could you? Yeah, we could. And, that, and we want you to be able to have that that coffee as fresh as possible now the equipment that we use is world-class state-of-the-art nobody has better equipment or any better equipment and i'm not saying we have the best in the world but uh we have as good as there is on the planet to to package that coffee we do you know we remove the atmosphere we do a nitrous gas flush it purges the residual oxygen and moisture and then we seal it and the industry would tell you well that's good for a year or good for a year and a half but your common sense would tell you that can't be, it can't be as good. And I would say no, every single day, it probably would take a month for the typical person to be able to, or two months maybe, but fresh is best. That's it, you know, my mom was a scratch cooker and we used to go on for 10 kids, right? I never had, I I probably did, but we never bought bread until I was in college, right? She just, everything, everything scratch. We said, God, mom, do we have to do that? Yes, you have to do it, it all makes a difference. And I'd say that's with us too, it's not just that recipe, because I could tell you that right now and and my smart aleck would be like, let me know how that works out for you. (laughs) Because you know, there's the timing and all that special sauce and I just ate it with Michael Smith and uh, and totally good, he would give you any recipe he wants and then he'd say, let let me know how that works out for you. Because it's all, and you can't become an expert on any, on virtually anything. I can imagine people like saying, "Well, God, I have an iPhone. I'll get a microphone. I can do podcasts. Oh, yeah. Let me know how it works out." Right? right? Yeah. There is that that time, that passion, that dedication to the craft, whatever the craft is, and then you got it. You know, the infamous ten thousand hours. I don't know if it's ten thousand hours, but I know it's a pot full more than a couple of them. Right? No matter what you're endeavoring to do, so. We still, we'll have a couple of, we have cupping this afternoon and there's, I've never done a cupping session in, since we started, it's almost 25 years where we didn't learn something and go, oh my God, we're learning something new every single day. And, uh, and that's where you, I think you got, whatever the case is, I think that sets us apart. And then I, the other aspect to your question, I was just, I met a chef and I said, you know what? He was talking, he was just in town, talking uh, about doing business with us. I said, you know what, if you have the time, just go over to our factory or go to any cafe and just chat somebody up and just see 
I just love for you to have that experience, and you don't, nobody knows you. I didn't know you till right now. Just see how it works out, and then see if we're the kind of conf, uh, the company you want to do business with. I totally trust our team and how they, you know, how they put themselves out there and how they're going to take care of you. Because at the end of the day, you can really get coffee anywhere, even if you love it as much as I do. You, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that make up your day. If you're a parent, if you're a citizen, I mean, think about it. So it as as important as it is to us, there the other pieces, how we make you feel, how you feel, you know, that's that's more that's most important. Sure. The product has got to live there too. But you, we could have the best coffee in the world and be you know snobby and ostentatious and smug and arrogant and make you never want to do business with us and that is that's the farthest from our culture that we'd ever want to be so well one thing that i like about businesses is kind of that journey process of you know when you talk about the start and then getting to you know where we are today so tell us a little bit about that early process was there an aha moment where you felt like you figured out one aspect of the the coffee making business or even the culture like you're speaking of tell us a little bit about that yeah i love that too i love um, and it's more interesting talk, you know, listening to other people tell their story, obviously. But I love asking people, how'd you get started? And then I love asking uh, couples, if you guys do this, um, just say, like uh, older couples particularly, say, well, how'd you, how'd you guys meet? And inevitably, the wife tells the story way better than the guy. <laughs> and inevitably, it goes like this. Just try me on this. Just, it's just, it'll be fascinating. Inevitably, it's like this. Well, back then, we didn't have any money. So we would take a blanket, Henry Bach. We went to the Nelson Adkins and we looked at art. Inevitably, I've, I bet I've heard that story 200 times, if, n- if not more. Well, we didn't have any money back then. And they just wax, they glow. Incidentally, yesterday, somebody was telling me about, they interviewed a guy from World War One. He was 106 or 107. And he was saying about kind of the same kind of thing. Wow, look at what you've seen in your life. Wow, what do you think? And he said, well, you know what? I, what I remember, top of my mind, is back then we didn't have any of the money or resources we have <clears throat> excuse me, today, but everybody was way happier back then. And that's something. So anyway, so with us, and I think about that now, I can say, oh, my God, we are down to getting my house repossessed. I was three days away from them taking my house. You know, started the whole company on $17,000 and... There were all kinds of different things that led, uh, there were like, I call them like um, tipping points. Could have gone either way, you know? And But for the grace of God, every single one of them are luck and not one of them where I could say, well, I did that. It was like, I was lucky enough to fall down and fall forward. Like our coach used to say, if you're gonna fall, damn, damn it, fall forward. You have, one, you have one, you have a choice, fall that way, you know? And um, so, but one of them, was uh, Rick Usher, who's our assistant manager, uh, assistant city manager here in Kansas City. He was, uh, this was fall, uh, August of 1993. I was driving him crazy trying to decide where I would do this coffee roasting. I kept going up and down 39th Street. I'd find a place. I'd go down to City Hall. He'd look up the what zone it was. And then, no, you can't do this residential. No, you can't do this because of this. And then I would just wore him out. And, um, and he's a dear friend today. I just absolutely worship the guy. And uh, finally he goes, well, why don't, what? 
why don't, how big is a roaster? And I said, well, is it like this? Well, why don't you just do it in your house? And do you have a house? And I said, well, yeah, but you can't roast coffee in your house. He goes, well, why not? Let's look at it. And, and that was hugely, unbelievably pivotal because I had 17 grand. Well, 12,000 went to the roaster. Uh, 2,500 went for the logo. Uh, 500 went to get the, you know, my basement into a production facility. Um, 1500 went for a car and pretty soon I have no money zero and uh, and then I'm knocking on doors knocking on doors knocking on doors so one pivotal moment then in December of 1993 was uh, a gal by the name of Pam Murphy she owned the uh, espresso cart at KU Med Center and uh, she bought 10 pounds of coffee from me first order oh my god and I drove down (laughs) state line like just shaking went down my basement roasted that coffee and went back and i came in and she was like what's that i said what's your order and she goes oh my god it's it's still warm i said i just roasted it and she goes where and i said in my basement all indignant and self-righteous you know and i said this is what you ordered what and she goes i i just i just i don't I never thought about it before. I would order coffee and two or three weeks later it would show up. I just never gave it any thought where it came from. And, and, and then it just, then after that, I went through the front door everywhere I went to Fedora, to the Nelson Atkins and uh, absolutely wafted, just like the cartoons where the, where the aroma is going, you know? And then, and then uh, there was a gal by the name of Lou Jane Temple who wrote an article on coffee scene in Kansas City in uh, January of 1994. And she included us. And Fred Ball from uh, Balls from Hen House saw the article. And she said, you should call him. And I said, I can't call him. Yes, you should call him. Well, I called him. And he put us in three uh, Hen House grocery stores in April of that year. And Dennis Miner had put us in his store in Brookside, which is uh, Constantino's Marketplace now. It used to be called Miner's Forever. And that is still the number one store of ours. That was January 20th, 1994, and it's still the number one store today, grocery store. And uh, those both were pivotal. And then um, moving, uh, getting an old customer of mine, talking him into leaving his family in Houston and coming up and living with me and working for no money, because I didn't have any money to pay him, Storm and Norman. He came up and I used to sell him boxes when he was at Butternut Coffee in Omaha. So he came and lived with me and we worked at the end, it was 21 hours a day. And uh, so we did that for just about 18 months every day. We worked, you know, from, got up at seven and at the end it was four in the morning. Then on Saturdays I would do demos in the grocery stores and then Sunday I would be out in the community uh, for fundraisers, handing out cups of coffee, whether it be the Symphony or Symphony Showcase or Amy Thompson Run, whatever the case was, we just did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those, and uh, got to know people. But there was one kind of a it, it was a um, what do I want is it was a conscious moment where Normie and I both were like, oh my God, we might make it. And it was May of 94, and we were in my sunroom on a rainy Sunday, and for once we didn't have anything going on. We were reading the paper, drinking coffee, and we had put our coffee in these uh, uh, two or three hen house stores like two or three weeks prior. And I put down the paper, and I go, Normie. And he looks at me. I said, just think. 
as we're sitting here drinking coffee, maybe somebody is buying our coffee in a store right now. And he goes, and we just thought, oh my God, how cool would it, we're like, if that could happen, wow. And then uh, those were kind of the, those were real seminal moments. Now there were ones with huge dollar signs later on, but none of them were as big as those. Do you still think you're going to make it? You know what? I act. I just told my old coach from football, who's I haven't heard him scream at me since 1977, but we still get together like once a quarter. And he was probably the single most uh, outside my parents uh, had the most influence on me in, in my entire life. Right? Oh, he was uh, just hardcore too. Maybe I'll have him listen to this. <laughs> but I, uh, he was down, uh, or we went to a Notre Dame game in the fall, then he was down right before Christmas. And I said, you know what's funny, Coach? I said, I want to not hire an athlete in a leadership. I don't want to hire a non-athlete in a leadership position again. Because I said, whether well, it's two-minute drill or, or game day, they just don't get it if you've never been there, you know. So I said, every day for me is game day. I really mean that. I just think like, uh, I don't ever think, I love your question, um, but I don't think until you're in it, you don't know that. Like you guys probably feel, you don't think, okay, well, we got that done every single day, right? You got to go redo it and you're only as good as that day. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it any other way. But I just kind of feel like every day your ass is on the line and it's game day. And the minute you think you aren't going to get beat, you know, Georgia, Oklahoma, whoever, you know, that's the day. Chiefs. Oh, exactly. Painful, right? But call it hubris, call it whatever you want. You just are maybe taking people advantage if you have a spouse or a significant other, you know, that that's what happens. I mean, inevitably, when you take it for granted, then it's you can't have it. It's not going to be there. Another thing I noticed on your website is a, a lot of mention of direct trade. You're going directly to farmers and buying this coffee. So can you give us some rundown on what that means to you? Yeah, we, again, you know, probably sounds a little judgmental, but we didn't have to go to college to learn that. We just, we grew up that way. In Iowa, of course, fair day's uh, wages, fair day's work. It's never, it's never, it was never not that. We just grew up that way, honestly. And then we would always do business directly. And then um, in our case, um, like we're coming up on, uh, so we're coming up on 25 years. We're coming up on 21 years, 20 years, 19 years with significant farmers that we still do, do business with. And so we, you know, we would always negotiate um, directly. And then we had handed off and just like you would here if you had three pallets. I don't have, I'm not going to put a pallet in my trunk. Someone's going to carry it somewhere for me, but that's how we do it. We ship, have somebody ship it back. A broker will do the export import and get it here. But we love those direct relationships. And we never ever called it quote unquote direct trade or fair trade. But yeah, it's just doing it the right way. And then, um, and then Ewing Kaufman, you know, always said that too. If, if you're doing business with somebody and they're not making a dime, then that's not good for you. That's not good for them. And it's, that's the true story. I mean, we, the easier, most economically best thing that can happen is for us to all things remain equal for us to keep doing business with the same people providing they provide the same so it's so right if i have to go to kenya every single year and source a new farm oh my gosh in 20 countries we don't have enough money or enough time so it's in our 
economic and selfish best interest, but it's also flat out the most common sense, easy, simple way to do it. It's not always easy, but it's, it's the most straightforward and best way. We've been taking a look a lot back about the roastery, but let's look a little forward. What's the future hold for the roastery? Is there any big plans on the horizon or anything that you'd like to tell us? Yeah, so this year, thanks for that question. Um, New and exciting for 2018. So it's our 25th anniversary. So we're going to just play it up. Somebody would say milk it, but no, we're going to celebrate it for 12 flipping months. And, And we have a new blend coming out, new label, new special bag. And uh, it it hopefully will still hit here January of 2018, if not February. And then um, our nitro and cold brew. I don't know if you saw the brew house back there, but uh, um, we just are just unbelievably excited about that. And uh, most most folks, I would say under 30, under 35, the majority of them are drinking cold based coffee beverages. And so that is super, super exciting. Like most of my, I have a 12 and a nine year old. Most of my 12 year old friends drink cold brew coffee and, uh, and then all their teachers do. And um, so we're gonna, uh, we're hitting that in a really, really big way. Last year, we did a whole bunch of stuff ourselves, played around with it a bunch, but I think we're gonna, uh, you'll see a whole bunch of that. Um, we might only, we might, we may have one or no new cafes this year. But uh, we opened up six last year, so we're going to really grow into those, and um, yeah, and this and just kind of do the the factory here that that where we're sitting in, we're about seventy five percent through with the remodel. We have a couple of more ex- exciting features coming, but the idea behind that was just kind of Willy Wonka, just come in and just be able to engage and see something and really not have any secrets, be it, let the customer see everything. And so we're doing more and more of that. And then across the street, we own that block, most of that block anyway. And um, I think we have a, a surprise or two for that, but we don't know yet. So I wanna, I'm not trying to be coy, but uh, uh, I don't wanna, well, you said we were, well, that's what I thought. But, uh, we call those teasers uh, in our world. Um, here's a, a little fun one that we asked a similar question uh, of your friend, Andrew Cameron at Donatology. Of, I grew up in a family with a lot of police officers in oh, it. Cool. So uh, they enjoy donuts, yeah. and we asked them about that. They also enjoy coffee. Yeah. Is that is that cliche hold true here with specialty coffees? Yeah, they uh, and we love serving them. You know, there was a time where they they didn't get the recognition that they deserve. I mean, they've been putting their heart, themselves in harm's way. I'm not telling you anything you don't know from day one. There were periods of time, just like with the you know soldiers, they didn't get the respect, and I just think that's asinine. But anyway, so now I think it's fun. I, where was I? Oh, I was listening to the uh, governor's state of the state last night, and he called out all the the policemen and 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 uh, everybody's serving. I thought good for him. And um, but we, I have a, a several friends that are in, in, in our neighbor is also a, a retired policeman. So I get to see them a lot kind of selfishly, but in general sure. they do. And if you think about what they have to do, coffee goes hand in hand, almost like with nurses, all those serving, serving others of in service of for others. Coffee really fits in there for some of the obvious reasons. And I just think it's a great, you know, you and I can say, well, let's have a cup of coffee. And the connotation is, all sorts of good stuff versus you know if i'm talking to somebody else i might say well let's have a drink and ew ick what's that is he hitting on ew you know but coffee fits everything but in particular i think the law enforcement is so very sorry for long 
when they question or answer to your question but yeah there's a lot of motorcycle cops that are friends of mine too that they come down here a lot which we love that too and then how much would the Chiefs have won by had they had some coffee before the game? You know, they should have had some nitro is what they should have had. They would have won by at least a field goal. You know, when Miami, the Dolphins came to town, they the, one of the first things they did either Wednesday or Thursday before the game, they ordered up a bunch of our nitro. Yeah. But hopefully, or thankfully, our folks drank more nitro that day. So you didn't spike it with anything? <laughs> you know, we were joking that we were going to put decaf in <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, so then let's get into plugs. Obviously, I mean, you've got uh, locations scattered around the area. People can look online to find those locations, but there's a website, there's social media. What do we got? Yeah, you know, um, our website's a great place to start, you know, just roastery.com. But honestly, I mean, we'd love for you to find us at Donatology. We'd love for you to find us at Michael Smith's or, or uh, Blue Stem or Rye, you know, or Classic Cup. Um, if you find us at uh, the roastery, we're happy. But if you find us at Cosentino's or High V, I sound like a NASCAR stock car driver. <laughs> but honestly, the col- the the collaboration, we our own business is a small fraction of our overall business. We do way more wholesale, and we say wholesale sometimes, but it's really a collaboration. You know, you can find us at Children's Mercy. You can find us at KU Med Center. Find us at KU, UMKC, Rockhurst. You know. Juco. Oh, I just, I mean, I really, if somebody says, oh my God, I go buy Juco every single morning. Oh, just makes me feel so good. I really probably feel it's all good. That's, I don't ever think of it, but I'd probably get more joy if you're, if you're buying our coffee from one of our customers than our own, you know, because then they get a, they get a, a little bit of a, a boost there too, you know. Well, all right. Well, we appreciate you coming on here and we're going to go grab another cup and we'll get out of your hair. Thank you guys so much. Have you had our uh, cold brew nitro? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, I'm addicted to all types of coffee. So I get the hot, I get the cold, I get the large, I get the small. Yeah. As long as it's roastery coffee, Tom, okay? (laughs) All right, thank you. Thank you both. That guy loves coffee and he loves life. Yeah, you can definitely tell he has a strong passion for what he does. Uh, obviously, he told you that, and you could see it or hear it. We saw it. You could hear it. Uh, it, it was very uh, very inspiring to uh, see that someone found their passion and was able to make that their living. I like it. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and Tom is going to give you uh, some unique events coming up around the metro area. Fun fact, there were just 623 websites in 1993. Fun fact also, there's a lot more now. Yo, I'm way too dedicated. This shit was premeditated. At this point, I'm obligated to making it. Seeing all these looking with opportunity, wasting it. Said if I ever get a chance, I'm taking it. Tim and Tom. This episode of Tim and Tom is brought to you by Your Business. Tim and Tom's listeners could be hearing about your business right now. They could be hearing your business's address. Or your business's website address. Or even your business's phone number. But they're not hearing that right now, are they? If you want the listeners of Tim and Tom to know more about your business, contact us at timandtomkc at gmail.com. Tim and Tom. We're getting into the mid part of January, and that means that the events are going to be getting back into gear, and we're going to ramp up a lot of this fun stuff that goes on in Kansas City. And it is our job to let you know about all the fun stuff that's happening. And as I say each and every week, quick disclaimer, 
there is always going to be reoccurring events at Union Station, Power and Light, uh, the Nelson uh, Atkins Art Museum, uh, all of those places. So please check out all of your kind of regular stopping points that has events uh, going on throughout the year. But my job here is to kind of highlight some of the fun things that you might not see. So let's get it started. January 13th, NWL, and we've had a past guest, Anthony Sharkbait Gutierrez, and we've had the foundation tag team champion, Michael Strider on. Mm-hmm. So you should be familiar with the NWL, but they're going to get their first show of the year started with a new year's evolution TV taping. This is going to be Saturday, uh, seven to 10 again, January 13th. Uh, it's going to be at 5,300 Metcalf Avenue in Overland park, Kansas. The main event making his first title defense, Jeremy Wyatt takes on former champion Dak draper so we shall see who wins the nwl heavyweight championship and let me tell you so that- uh if you're not used to watching a live you know independent wrestling show nwl is doing one of the best shows you're gonna go sit in the crowd and watch and the that main event of jeremy wyatt versus dak draper those two gentlemen know how to entertain the crowd watching and you will not watch that and be not entertained yeah, it's going to be great. It's their first time actually facing off, too. So you get to see a uh, first time ever Jeremy Wyatt versus Dak Draper if you're into that pro wrestling. If you're not, we got another event for you on January 13th. Uh, this is going to be the Beer Station's fifth anniversary party. This is going to be obviously at the Beer Station, 120 East Gregory Boulevard in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, it starts at 11 in the morning, goes to 1130 at night. So kind of just stop in and uh, see how that happens and all the fun things that they got going on. Uh, So what they say here is five years. We couldn't have done it without you. How about let's celebrate? Well, we'll debut Friendly Collision, our new fifth anniversary uh, collaboration, uh, Belgian Stout on tap with Four Hands Brewing Company and Martin City Brewing Company included very limited four packs plus lots, 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 their words, not mine, of special kegs from some of our favorite breweries, uh, brew friends. Uh, You won't want to miss this, so mark your calendars. Details coming. So again, that is the Beer Station's fifth anniversary party. Uh, You get some exclusive um, Martin City and Four Hands Brewing. Uh, You get some special kegs, uh, and you get to just have fun. So it's Beer Station. Again, that's going to be at 120 East Gregory Boulevard. Uh, yeah. Next thing I'll mention, and this is kind of more of a catch-all, so I just want to remind people uh, that it's going to be Restaurant Week here in Kansas City. I love it. Love Restaurant Week. Now, this is going to be at the Country Club Plaza, Crown Center, near some sports stadiums, northeast, southwest, west. You know, it's going to be all around the city. So uh, find a participating uh, restaurant, uh, take part in some of their great dining uh, experiences and just enjoy all of the great Kansas city cuisine. There's not really a, a place that I wanted to highlight. Cause I think they're all fantastic. Uh, but yeah, it's restaurant week. Yeah. In Kansas if, city. And if you've ever wanted to try something that you're like, eh, it's a little pricey restaurant week is the perfect time to do that. It is great deal. I love restaurant week. Yeah, it is fantastic. I can't, uh, tell you more, uh, than I've already have. Cause I think it's fantastic. Uh, for more information, uh, just kind of do a Google search. I mean, that's kind of the easiest way to do it. I don't, I, I mean, I'm not trying to tell you like, 
hey, <laughs> go to this one place that's only going to tell you, you know, to go to their place. Be smart. Use For Google. Tim and Tom, I'm Tom. If you want more information, Google it. We're out. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, come on. Hey, if know. you want to know the hottest events, let Tom tell you to Google it. We're out. Yeah. You know, you know what I kind of what I do. I love it. So, uh, 2018 Kansas City Restaurant Week. Hey, All right, 2018, now, the year of the new idea. Reminder, a little and, flashback and, to last week. Yeah, the the year of the new idea, and possibly uh, the year of your new favorite restaurant, if you. Uh, take part in Kansas City Restaurant. Here's a new idea. Go to a new restaurant and try a new dish that you wouldn't have tried anywhere else. That's a new idea. Bingo! Right there. All right, now let's keep it going. January 20th. Woo! Woo! Coming in Dance pants on. What? Get your dance pants on. Dance pants on. At the Uptown Theater, which is 3700 Broadway Road in Kansas City, Missouri, you get the rap stylings of Little Boozy. Little Boozy. Bo- well, Lil Boozy. Obviously, this is a bit of an edited version. This one would not be for your uh, the whole family if you have some young children, obviously. This is for you youngsters ready to go out with other youngsters of your appropriate age uh, for an adult show. Definitely. Right. Uh, the doors open at seven. Show starts at eight. Again, little boozy on that Boo Pock Tour KC. The Boo Pock Tour KC. It's hashtag Boo. It's hashtag Boo Pock Tour KC. Again, the Uptown Theater, Saturday, January twentieth. Doors open at seven. Show starts at eight p.m. Admittedly, I am not well educated on the little boozy. I, I'll have to defer to your knowledge of Lil Boozy. And if you know more about Lil Boozy, you can tell us. Get at us at Tim and Tom KC on all of the social medias. Yeah, I think he's the wet me down. Uh, 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 wet me down. I think that's that guy. He served right. some time. Sure. Uh, oh, did he? I think, yeah, I think he was uh, playing with them guns when he shouldn't have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That'll get you in jail sometimes. I'll tell you what. I tell you what. All right, now let's uh, transition to a more family-friendly show. This is going to be at the Sprint Center. If you don't know the Sprint Center's address, I'm going to give it to you, but you should know it. And if you don't know it and you can't catch it when I say it, Google Google it. it. It's 1407 Grand Boulevard, Kansas City, Missouri. Door is open at 7. It goes till 9.30, so pretty quick show, it seems like. But join KCPT for an evening with two cellos. So if you're not picking up what two cellos are throwing down here, they will play various songs, uh, contemporary and otherwise, that you know well, but they're doing it on the trumpet. So there you go. Two cellos, ladies and gentlemen. Nothing. Nothing out of that. I get nothing out of that. I just, mean, I just wanted to make sure that we uh, tell the audience they're playing cellos. Right. <laughs> just want to make sure that that is uh, very clear. <laughs> Your look of disappointment. You were like, you really went there. You're like, you really, really. Are your arms tired because you just flew in also? Really? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> right, yeah. So uh, they became very popular. For people who aren't familiar with two cellos, they became very popular off of YouTube 
they did a uh, version very uniquely of Michael Jackson's Smooth Criminal. Um, that happened in 2011. Since then, uh, they've been covering Titanic's My Heart Will Go On. Uh, they've done uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. They've done The Lord of the Rings. They've done Game of Thrones. Uh, you just heard Despacito. I mean, they're doing it all. So you're going to hear some really cool music that's familiar to the ear, but sounds a little different because it's on it's xylophones. Yeah. Not there. Nope. Not the, Not no? What are <laughs> nope. they? What are they? Two cellos. Two cellos. Right, but what are they playing? What is, what is the instrument that they're playing? These are gondolas? That's, Strike three. Is that even an nope. instrument? <laughs> Not sure. Two, two cellos, ladies and gentlemen. Somebody tweet at us. Let us know what the name of the instruments that they're playing. <laughs> All right. No, that's seriously. I mean, they're very good. I mean, if you're listening, uh, not to make yeah, light they're of them, Obviously, hey. they're, they're good artists. Yeah. No, obviously, if you're going to play a show at the Sprint Center, you have to have some talent. You don't just uh, pay that fee and expect uh, 10 people oh, to show up. Wait a minute. So. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Uh, I think they were trying to rap at the end of this. Uh, video here. Let's see what this is about. Right here. We're doing it live, Tom. Doing it live. <laughs> yeah, they're feeling quite miserably. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, they seem like fun guys and obviously very good at what they're doing. And like you said, if you're at the Sprint Center, you're not a joke, right? Right. All right. So, let's run them back, man. What do we got? Oh, okay. I like that. We've got, uh, on January 13th, we have NWL Presents New Year's Evolution TV taping. That's going to be at Overland Park from 7 to 10. Also on that same day, we have uh, the Beer Station's 5th Anniversary Party. That is going to be at the Beer Station, 120 East Gregory Boulevard. Also, a big reminder, throughout the week, it's going to be Kansas City Restaurant Week at participating locations. Then, to close it out, on the following weekend, January 20th, we have Little Boozy at the Uptown Theater. And uh, at the Sprint Center, we have two cellos who will hopefully only be playing their music because apparently their singing is not good. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is what you got yeah. as far as events. But they rock out the harmonicas. So check out those events. Get out it's to see wrong. the it's cellos. Right, it's two cellos. They're playing something. Tim's favorite. You ever seen Grumpy Old Men? The movie? Yes. Oh, of course. So I, I saw that this week, and I'm going to name that my official favorite thing in the week because I came – it was real early one weekend morning. Everybody else was still kind of like lazing around or still asleep in bed, and I just kind of turned on the TV. I was going to make some coffee, right, figure out what we're going to do for the day. And Grumpy Old Men was the first thing that was on, and I was like – it was real early in the movie, and I just thought, man, I haven't seen this in forever. It so holds up to this day. The zingers – and it's such an honest movie if you go back and watch it, right? The – it, it doesn't feel like, oh, but nobody talks like that or or whatever, right? It just feels like I've known so many old guys that just throw zingers around at each other, and that's what this whole movie feels like, but the story's great. Uh, it's such a great thing, and I'm going to make that my favorite movie of the week. Uh, thing just of the week. The, yeah, my favorite thing of the week, excuse me. Uh, just the, those characters together were amazing, the chemistry that they've had built up over their careers. I love that movie. That's yeah. a good choice. Kind of, right. kind of a throwback. So, yeah, go yeah. check out Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, go back uh, and, you, and watch it. Yeah. Did you like the sequel, Grumpier Old Men? I did like the sequel. Now, I have not gone back and rewatched that, but I do remember it still having that same 
feel to it, right? Felt like an honest story, felt like uh, relatable characters, um, and some of that humor and everything still holds up, right? There's not a whole lot of, you know, they're not making these contemporary references, and they're not, you know I mean, doing something that's clearly like, check out my Nintendo, right? Like, it's not, you know what I mean? It holds up. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the most uh, honest, heartfelt comedies that you'll see, and, and I'll throw that out there, yeah. Easy money. Grumpy old man. Tom's favorite. The college football uh, championship game played between Georgia and Alabama. ESPN decided to do a mega cast, and the mega cast was on different channels. Uh-huh. And what you could have done is this: so on ESPN, they just played the game, right? Right. Watch the game. Yep. Then on ESPN two, uh, they had I think six coaches from yeah. uh, college, the coaches and they kind of right. Yeah, you could watch it alongside them. They would tell you, you know, the tackle pulled, whatever, blah blah uh, blah. Yep. Then they did. Then they did uh, another one on ESPN three. They did some others too, but the one I want to talk about was on ESPN three, and it's by uh, my favorite sports radio show in the country, Dan Lebetard. And Dan Lebetard live uh, throughout the game broadcasted their show basically, mm-hmm. and during the halftime. The college football uh, championship decided to have their first ever performer, which was Kendrick Lamar, yep. and it was a fantastic performance. You know, hit a home run. If you like Kendrick Lamar, it was great. If you didn't know who he was, hopefully you, you uh, tuned in and enjoyed the show. What Dan Lebetard decided to do, however, was they decided to have Chris Cody, who is one of their producers, painted orange because it was the Orange Bowl. Juggling oranges while Kenny G played in the background. (laughs) And I'll play a little bit of Kenny G for you. Though. I mean, right. we are killing it. I'm All right, thank you. you. Uh, okay, we, we exist for hearts on Periscope. Uh, hearts, I have real daddy here, real ratings, and uh, we're the highest rated thing going on ESPN right now. Guys, Kendrick Lamar's got the lead on us here. We got to start right. our half. All right, let's show. go. All right, Kenny G, thank you for performing an alternative halftime show. It's a better <laughs> halftime show. Uh, take out K Dot. You could crush him. We've got a better halftime show than whatever they're doing in Atlanta. Uh, I, I will turn the floor over to Kenny G, the most majestic, sexiest uh, player in the history of uh, sexiest. Horn. Let's do it. Ready? Here is our halftime show featuring Kenny G. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Here we go. And by the way, I'm wearing the exact same thing as Kendrick Lamar. Okay. <laughs> nice. All right. Yes, I figured. <laughs> So there you go. It was amazing because what a spectacle for this Kendrick Lamar takes up the entire field. Let's put on, you know, three to four hundred people trampling on a field that unpaid labor will then run on and, you know, risk their bodies for. Meanwhile, we've got this guy in Miami and he's going to get Kenny G just to play saxophone and then paint up one of his producers orange juggling oranges just to show you what a farce entertainment is, basically. Uh, during the college football national championship game. I, I thought really it was awesome. love uh, that whole way that ESPN handled that whole college football playoff with the multi-casts. I loved it. I loved that the future of this is when there's a live sport going on, uh, I can, you know, I don't like these announcers. I can go over and listen to these coaches talk about it instead, right? Or I can go listen to Dan Levitar just make fun of it the whole time. Or I can go, you know what I mean? Like if, if it's a boring game, right? I've just got all these options. 
uh, at my fingertips uh, to watch the same thing. That's awesome. Yeah. It was great. It was awesome. I, I liked what they did. They took a chance. And again, my favorite sports radio show in the country is Dan Lebitard. I like his takes. I like his kind of uh, unique view on sports topics and stories. It's kind of uh, aligns with mine. So obviously I like to feel comfort and hear what I want to hear. And so I listen to him. Uh, Stu Gotts is great. Mike Ryan is awesome. His lead producer. Uh, and again, they have fun. And if you like fun, I'd say check them out. And again, that was my favorite thing of the week. Tim and Tom. All right, Tom, we had a great show, man. We talked about a lot of fun stuff. We talked about some stuff that uh, you know made us a little perturbed. Straighten you guys out, man. Straighten out America. Uh, stop voting for Oprah. And then, you know, we talked to Danny uh, O'Neill of the Roastery, which was an amazing interview. We told you. We didn't lie, did we? It was great. Yeah. So, all that said, we're going to – I don't even know who we got lined up next week, uh, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to have a great show regardless because that's what we do. We're Tim and Tom, and we'll be back next week. In 2005, fun fact, Facebook hired graffiti artist David Cho to paint murals in their new office space. Cho accepted Facebook shares instead of cash payment. When Facebook went public in 2012, his shares were valued at $200 million. Put a bone top and then I'll give it to my girl. Tim and Tom.